Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you So uh, I want to share a message to you, and we have uh, an amazing picnic, food, burgers like you've never tasted that are actually right now, we're going to start slow cooking, and, and, and they're going to start preparing them for you. But I started thinking about this on the way over here because I saw some dark clouds, and I said, oh, man, me, will I title a message, Washed? Only me, will I preach on water? on the day we're going to have food outside of church. So we're praying that all the watering happens spiritually right here and that the Lord keeps it dry and sunny outside. Amen? (laughs) I want to share a story of something that happened. It's actually recorded in John chapter 9. It's about 41 verses or so. I feel like that's a lot of verses to read today because I have so many other reference verses that I want to share. But in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41, it's very uh, interesting, this story. And the reason why I say it's interesting, because um, there is no other story like it in the Bible. I've preached on this a few years ago. I I think I did a series or multiple messages on it because it was too much for me to share on one Sunday, and I remember sharing it, but today I'm, I'm taking a different avenue uh, from the one that I shared a few years ago. The reason why I think it's such an interesting story is, I'll give you like, we'll just have a conversation, like a little summary about it, but it's when Jesus heals um, the man that was born blind. And like, well, which one? In John chapter 9, there's this man that is described as blind and blind since birth. And the story gets really um, interesting, complex. It's almost like a soap opera. When you read through John chapter 9, like this would make good. Uh, I haven't caught up or, or watched all the chosen, so you're probably there like, oh, my God, it's in the chosen. You should watch. I get that almost every Sunday I talk about the Gospels. There's always a preaching that's in the chosen. If, there, if, it, if this one's in the chosen, let me know. I'll make sure I catch it. But... Jesus heals this blind man, and, um, but as they're on the way and they see this blind man, his disciples ask him a question, and they said, Jesus, here's this blind man, but we have a question for you. Why is he blind? Is it because he sinned or his parents sinned? Is that the reason why he's blind? It's a great question to ask. These disciples are thinking. These disciples are hanging out with Jesus, <clears throat> and they're getting it. Oh, we're going to ask some hard questions. And they said, Rabbi, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or because of his parents' sins? It's, it's, it's something like my, my own children would ask me. My own son would ask me questions like this. But like he would ask me questions like, Dad, why would God allow that person to be born with those problems? Why would God allow that person to be born blind? So as children, they come to their teacher and they say, why is he born like this? It has to be because their parents sinned, because he himself is a sinner. 
So Jesus goes on. He says, no, no, none of that. This specific thing right here that we're looking at, he says, this happened so that the power of God could be seen. It's so that my glory could be seen through this. But you have to read the rest of the story to see what, what, what exactly is Jesus talking about, about his glory. So why do I think that this is such an interesting story? Well, first off, the guy's blind, and what does Jesus do? He comes to where he's at, and Jesus decides this will be a great time to spit in front of the man. To spit. So he spits on the ground, he, makes, he gets some dirt, makes some mud with it, and this is the story where he puts mud. He makes mud from the dirt and his own saliva. And I don't want to get into my message that I preached a couple years ago. Maybe I'll, I'll preach it again because uh, it was a great message. And he places it on this man's eyes. He places his, and you say, well, well that's unorthodox. What a, what a strange way to heal somebody. What a strange way to deal with someone's ailment. To spit on the ground, make some mud with it, and place some of that mud on his eyes. And then after he has this mud in his eyes made from another man's saliva, and I get it because you're holy and you're spiritual and you're children of God. You're like, I'll take Jesus' saliva at any time. I get it. But if you were in this moment, you would have said, this is different. This is different. I did a whole description of what this could have been, and, and um, I don't know if you remember this passage when this man for, was looked at as an outsider. People would look down upon him, and he probably got told things. And You know how many of us or how many people out there carry things that if they just open up about it, they'll feel like, oh, my goodness, people will put me to shame? You know how many people come to church every Sunday and they carry things? And they're scared to open up about it because they're scared how the church, listen to this, how the church is going to treat them. So this man being blind, here's all the mockery, here's all the things that they say about him. And then here comes Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the one who heals. And he hears and Jesus comes. And what does Jesus do? I'm not going to do that. There was a preacher that did that a little time back, and he got a lot of heat. I won't do that. (laughs) He spits. And I could almost think that this man says, oh, here's Jesus of Nazareth doing the same thing that everyone else is doing, pointing at my shame. He stands in front of me, and he spits, another man mocking me. Another man ridiculing me. Another man saying I am worthless. But then his fingers touch his eyes. And he rubs it on him. And I love that because what Jesus was, I'm not saying I'm Jesus and I'm getting into the mind of Jesus. I'm just thinking, Jesus could be saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go so deep into the shame that you have. And I'm going to heal you from that point of shame. So I'm going to do something that you could relate to which is the mockery, which is the spitting when you walk down the road, and I'm going to do what everyone else does. I'm going to spit just like everyone else does, but not to continue to put you to shame, but to deliver you and heal you from that which has shamed you. So he uses the same elements that was a shame to him to now bring healing and vision to his eyes. So when Jesus is done rubbing mud on his eyes, he says, this is great, go dip yourself in the pool of Siloam. The pool is very interesting because it's the pool called scent. 
That's what that word is, the, the pool is, is known as, and that's what it's, it's translated as. So the man goes and he dips himself into the pool, and it says that when he washed, everyone say washed. That's today's message, by the way, it's washed. When the man washed, Scripture says he came back seen. So what healed the man? Was it the mud? Was it the dirt in his eyes? Because he was still blind after Jesus spit on the floor, made some mud, and put it on his eyes. He was still blind. But then Jesus gave him a word. Jesus gave him a command. Jesus gave him something to walk in obedience in. And he says, now I want you to do this. I want you to go and dip yourself in the pool. And he dipped himself in the pool. When he came out of the waters, washed, he was able to see. I start to read these kind of things, and I'm like, it's very important to be obedient to the Lord. One of, the great, one, of the, one of the main things that we should do and should be is obedience. Obedient children of God. And I believe that Jesus ultimately brings the great miracle. Jesus ultimately does it all. But it comes through this man's obedience that he sees the final product of it. So whatever, the neighbors and everyone sees him and says, Oh my God, look who it is, the blind beggar. Isn't he the guy that was blind? How come he could see now? And they're all looking at him and it says, it can't be him. This is amazing. Does this not sound like 2023? It's his double dang. What's his name? What's that called? Double ganger? Yeah. It's his double ganger. It's his lookalike. Nowadays, they're saying, they're saying that there's four Bidens and there's three Trumps and there's five Putins. And, and here's this man. And they're saying, it can't be him. It's just a lookalike. It's a lookalike. So what do they do? They, they say, well, is it really you? And he's like, it's me. I'm the same guy. <laughs> Can you imagine being that guy? It's really me. And they says, well, then who is it that healed you? And he says, I don't know. It's the man they call Jesus. The man that they call Jesus, he told me, he spit on the floor, made some mud with the dirt. He spread it over my eyes. This is his exact words in verse 11. He spread it upon my eyes. He told me to go to the pool of Siloam, and I washed myself there. And when I washed, now I can see. I don't know him, he replied. I just know that this is what he did. I just know that this is how he did it. They took the man who was blind to the religious people, because that's the thing to do, right? The religious people know everything. So they go to the religious people, and they take them to the Pharisees, and they're upset because, hey, not only is this man who was blind can see, but they did it all on the Sabbath. How can you do something on the Sabbath? Should you not keep the Sabbath day holy? So this man goes to the Pharisees now, and the religious leaders start to ask him about it, and he tells them, hey, I already told them, now I'm going to tell you the same story. And look what he says to them. He put mud over my eyes, and when I washed away, I could see. And some of the Pharisees says, this man, Jesus, is not from God. They're right. They're right. He's not from God. He is God. He is God. He is God. Okay, so they had a little bit of truth there. It says, um... I forgot where I'm at, 11, I told you. All right, it says here then, they said, this man is not from God, Jesus. He is working on the Sabbath. (laughs) Jesus is not from God because he worked on the day he should not work. But others said, how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? And there was a deep division of opinion among the religious people. Some religious Pharisees believed. Some of the Pharisees didn't believe. So the Pharisees questioned the man again who was blind and says, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? What do you think the man said? He's like, I don't know. He's got to be God. 
He must be a prophet. He's got to be someone special. So the Jewish leaders refused to believe the man who was blind and could now see. Can you imagine being so blind spiritually that there's a miracle of God before you, but because it goes against your tradition and your whole religious tradition of life that you're blind to see the very hand of God at work in front of you? You know how many people live like that? They're so caught up with their own things, with their own tradition, with their own ways of doing things. And God is doing a new thing. God is doing something special before them. And they're blind to see it. And here's a blind man that says, why don't you believe me? I was blind and now I see. So you would think that the Jewish leaders are fed up. They're upset. Guys, watch what they do. Call your parents over here. Mom and dad come now to the religious people, and the Pharisees look at mom and dad. They sit them down for a time of questioning, and they say to them, is this your son? <laughs> Was he born blind? If so, here's the third question, how come he can see now? And his parents said, we know that this is our son. Who is going to know their son more than the very own parents? They probably looked for the birthmark. Yep, that's the birthmark. It's in the same place. That's our son. If my son had a, a moment like this, I could tell which one my son is because there are certain things of my son's body that I know what to look for. There are certain things, and they're like, mm, yep, this is him. This is our son. Look what they say. But we don't know how he could see and who healed him. Look what they say next. He's old enough to speak. Ask him. But the religious leaders wanted to hear from the parents, and the parents like, we don't know. Ask him. He could talk. And yeah, but he's not, he's not telling them what he's not telling us what we want to hear. Right? That's a whole other message there. People that want to be told what they want to hear. His parents said this because they were afraid. They were afraid of the leaders who had announced that anyone saying that Jesus was the Messiah, they would be expelled from the synagogue. And that's why they said, ask him. They didn't want to get involved in their son's dealings. So for the second time, they called the man who'd been blind, and they told him, God should get the glory for this because we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. God should get the glory, not Jesus. <laughs> and I love the man's reply. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I see. Wow. What do you, you think the Pharisees shut up? Here it goes. But what did he do? <laughs> the Bible's awesome. The Bible's fun. The Bible's so interesting. How did he heal you? And now the man is frustrated. I know that because of the, the way he's using his language now. There's, there's explanation points now. And in verse 27, he says, look. This is the fourth time I say the story. The man exclaimed, I told you once already, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciples and we're disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the blind man who now sees says, he healed my eyes and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know the God that doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not have done it. You were born a total sinner, they said to him. Now they're condemning him. They're like, go back to being blind. Can you imagine a Christian telling you that? 
I'm free from sin. You know what? Go for your sin. All right. You're nothing but a total sinner. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us, the Pharisees? And they, they threw him out of the synagogue. I love that when they get thrown out. I heard someone in the 930 huddle say, I'm ministering to my coworkers, and I'm noticing that most of them have church hurt. Church hurt is a real thing. Church hurt is a real thing. You know how church hurt happens? False expectations. Church hurt, and then a lot of heresy and stuff like that, other things happen. But church hurts, it's, it's all over the place. And look at this. Jesus recognizes the church hurt. He gets thrown out of church, guys. Okay, he gets thrown out of church because he got healed. Can you imagine if one of you who have been praying for for so long that gets healed, you come back on a Sunday and you start to jump and dance and you're up here singing and dancing and you're like, stop that dancing. Like, I can't. I was sick and now I'm healed. You know what? You, you get out of church. That's what they did to him. Verse 35 says, Jesus heard what had happened to him. So he goes and he finds the man. I love, I love that the man, the man can't do anything to find Jesus, but Jesus is so good. Isn't he so good that he came and he found you? I don't know about you, but he came and found me. You know how I know this? Because when my family came to Christ and my sister and my mom were like on a high for Jesus, I was running out the back door saying, I don't want that. But Jesus came and found me. Jesus came and found you. Jesus comes and he finds this man and he says, hey, do you believe in the son of man? You can imagine that hookup, right? The man sees Jesus, Jesus sees the man, and the man looks at Jesus. Where have you been? Do you know what's happened to me the last 16 hours? <laughs> and Jesus is like, yes, that's why I'm here. And he's like, well, you should have been there when the religious leaders and my parents thought I was crazy. I can't even go to church anymore. I'm the church of my childhood. And Jesus is like, hey, let me ask you a quick question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? I still have a preaching to preach. Here it is. So the man says, well, who is he then? Who is this Son of Man? He's so like, yeah, he just doesn't know. He says, I want to believe in him. Who is he? Tell me who he is already. So I can believe in him. And Jesus says, I love it. I think like if I was Jesus, I would have been like, you've seen him. Jesus' very word says, you've seen him. And he is the one speaking to you. What does Jesus tell him? It's me. I'm him. I'm him. And he says, yes, Lord, I believe. And the man began to worship Jesus right there, right there. And Jesus says, I entered this world to rent, I entered this world to enter judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see, think they see that they are actually blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, Are you saying that we're blind then? What is that called? Conviction to their heart. They knew that Jesus was speaking about them. Because the blind man now sees, they see, but they're actually blind. Who else, are you who else is it in the room? It's obviously us, Jesus. Are you talking to us? So what does Jesus say? He says this. If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. Isn't John chapter 9 a beautiful chapter? Hey, you have homework today. Ready? I'm going to give you a devotional for the rest of the week. Monday, read John chapter 9. See how God speaks to you. Tuesday, read John chapter 9. See how God speaks to you. Wednesday, read John chapter 9. See how God speaks to you. Thursday, read John chapter 9 and pray into it. John chapter 9 is filled with so much. I don't have time to expound on all of it, but it's so deep. It's so good. John chapter 9 is an amazing chapter in the book of John. All right. This is amazing. Christ, one reaction to all of this was, hey, 
let's just fulfill the Father's will here. This man is not blind because his parents sinned or because he sinned, but because the Father's will is going to happen here. This here is so that the works of God, his exact words were this, this man is blind so that the works of God might be displayed. That the one translation says, so that the works of God may be revealed in him. The works of God may be displayed. And he explains to his disciples that while I'm still fulfilling my earthly ministry, there's things to do. There's things to do. Things that the Father has sent me to do. And not long from now, disciples, not long from now, my earthly ministry will end. And I will be done with what has been given to me to accomplish. That's why on the cross he says some amazing words. And one of his last words are, it is finished. What? The will of the Father is done. Through the Son of Man. Through the Lamb of God. But as long as I am in this world, light has to shine. As long as I am in this world, I am the light of the world. So the works of God are to be displayed. Guys, I'm going to ask you some Sunday questions. Are you ready? Do we see the works of God today? Some of you are nodding your head and some of you are saying amen. Go ahead, shoot them. What are some of the works of God you've seen today? He's provided for you. Can you give a testimony of that? Amen. What are the works of God today? Yourself. Mijo, yourself. She's a provider. I was in need. He provided for me myself. Can you give a testimony about that right now? Yeah. Some of you are ducking because you're like, oh my God, he's going to might call one of us up. I might. The works of God are alive today. Yes? Are we all in agreement with that? So what is your job? Stop focusing about the four walls of this church. Take the works of God and put them out to display so that the world can see that Jesus still does miracles today. Because you have a story to tell. Jesus spit on your eye and made mud and made you see. I just want to start a ministry. Start your ministry. Here it is, right here. I'm going to start a new ministry. Me and um, Ruth is not here today. We've been talking about going to my house. Maybe I'll, well, I'll invite some of you guys and just putting up a tent and playing music, handing out waters, and just doing a prayer line because I live right on a busy street. And whoever wants to come, we're just going to come in your car and we're going to pray for you, get your water, and keep going. Do whatever you need to do to give the displays and the, the works of Christ. You, you, every single one of you, you have works of God. Can they be applied? Can they be spoken about? Do they mean something to you today? Imagine what it means to someone else. In verse 7, it says that the man washes, he comes back seen. He's given physical sight. But in verses 35, 6, 7, and 38, and 39, at the end of John chapter 9, in the beginning, he is given physical sight, but the Lord is not done. The Lord is not done just by doing something in your physical life. The second work that God does, you should write this down in your notes. The first work was the Lord did a physical work. The second work is found in verses 35 to 39. It says, it, it tells us that he gives the man spiritual sight now. The man sees Jesus. The first work is physical sight. The second work now is spiritual sight. In the story of God's work, God caused man to obedience through the process that I want to talk to you about briefly today, and it's a process called washing. Washing is the process. If you've ever studied in 2 Kings chapter 5, the story of Elisha and Naaman, 
It's the same story. Naaman was asked to go dip himself in the waters. Do this seven times. Go ahead, dip yourself. Water is so significant in the scripture. Over seven, listen to this, over 700 times water is mentioned in the Bible. And I'm sure, I'm sure you can find deep meaning and application for most of the times that water is mentioned. Water washing is so important. This man who was born blind gets mud on his eyes by the very spit and dirt on the floor and spit of Jesus. Gets asked to go into the water, washes himself, and he can see. Same thing happens with Naaman through the prophet Elisha, and he is healed. Water can speak to us. Number one, write this down. Water could speak to us about the word of God. In Psalm 119.9, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure, cleanse his way? That is through the washing of water, by guiding it, by guarding it, sorry, guarding the word according to your word, guarding my life according to your word. Water can speak about the word of God. Number two, water can speak to us about the purification, purifications of Christians. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, look what Hebrews says. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Water can speak to us about the word of God. Water can speak to us about purification in a Christian's life. Water can also speak to us, obviously, we see it here about spiritual life. In Genesis chapter 2, it tells us that the water in the garden would give life to all that was living, all that was living in it. Genesis 2 says water gave life. Without water in the garden of all creation, when everything was created, in Genesis chapter 2, without water in the garden, everything living in it would have died. Nothing would survive. Man would have even died. Water was so significant in the garden of Eden. And Genesis 2 makes sure that we know that water was there to give life. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, it says this, that he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I want you to know that without Jesus, there can be no life. We're talking about water here all over the scripture. Without water, there can be no life. Water is significant for life, and I want you to see how Jesus and salvation and all these points that we're mentioning about water, that there needs to be a washing in our lives so that we could live. In Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, it says, Behold, the prophet Isaiah says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength. He is my song. And he has become my salvation. Look at verse 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Isaiah the prophet does so good, always pointing at the Messiah to come. Who is the well of his salvation? He's speaking about the person of Jesus Christ here. Jesus is the well of our salvation. He even meets a woman at the well, and and I'm getting ahead of my notes, and tells the woman, if you drink from the water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. Because each day she was going to get water that she continued to have void, and she continued to need water. But Jesus says, if you drink from this water that I give you, You'll never. And what does he do? He gives her spiritual cleansing. He gives her a washing. So just like the blind man, God's work is calling us to obedience. And it's through the obedience of this process called washing. 
So today won't be too long, but listen to what I'm about to tell you. You may wake up one day throughout this week. Maybe you woke up last week. You're waking up every day. You woke up today with this feeling of dirt, this feeling of heaviness, this feeling of, oh my goodness, I just feel filth all over me. Well, guess what? The Lord is a Lord who washes you. To wash is so important. In Ephesians 5.26, it tells husbands, listen to me, men, and those that are husbands, that you are to sanctify and you are to cleanse your wives with the washing of the water of the word. Washing is so important. To walk in obedience and to enter into the washing of God, it can be scary. For so many, because... We do not know what's going to come forth. If I ask the Lord to fully cleanse me and wash me, if I speak to someone that Christ can wash them, I'm scared because I don't know what's going to come from it. Or, ready, will anything else come from it? Your expectations. Will God do this in my life? And what happens if he doesn't do it right away? It's vital that we are disciplined in this, that we allow the word of God to wash us daily. That we should receive purification from his presence and that life would flow from us. I'm going to give you three things you should write down. Here are some outcomes. Here are some results of this washing which produces God's work in us. Number one, we see it in John chapter 9, verse 8 and 9. Point number one is this. God's work bears fruit. When God does the work of washing in your life, you're going to start bearing fruit. How many of you need to bear fruit in your life? Then let the washing of God take place. The washing of the Lord bears fruit. Verse 8 and 9, there is washing, and he comes back seen, and he looks at all the people, and all the people are starting to respond to the fruit that he's bearing. Number two, here are some results of the washing of the work of God. God's work is always new. It bears fruit and it's new. What, did the, what was the question that they began to ask? Is this not the man? Was he not the one that's born blind, always begging? Yes, it is. It is him. No, it's not. It looks like him. Call the parents. Is this your son? And what is this guy's like? I am him. I am he. Why? It's a new thing. When God does a work, it's a new thing. Number one, it bears fruit. Number two, it's a what? New thing. The scripture says that you are an old creation, but Christ now makes you a what? New creation. It's a new thing. When the washing of the Lord comes upon your life, when the Lord begins to work in you, number one, it bears fruit. Number two, it's always new. And number three, God's work is eternal. At the end, he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He says, who is he? Show me so I can believe in him. He says, it is me. It's I who's speaking to you. He says, I believe. He begins to worship him. He says, I believe, and he worships him. And that's for eternity. His life is transformed forever. All right, so here it is. In Exodus chapter 30, verse 18, I want you to listen to this passage. And we're going to get ready to wrap this up. Listen to this passage. This is the children of the Hebrew people, the God speaking to Moses. They're out in the wilderness. There's some order and some structure that is given to Aaron and so on and so forth. Listen to these words. Exodus chapter 30, verse 18, it says, You shall make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze. Listen to this, for washing. They're about to build the temple, the tabernacle, forgive me. And as they build the tabernacle, he's giving them the structure and the order of how things should be built. Build this 
basin of bronze and let it stand there for washing and you shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar. Make sure you put water in it, the Lord says. Verse 19, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. And when they go into the tent of meeting, when they come near the altar to minister, to, to, to burn a food offering to the Lord, when the priests come to do the work of the Lord in the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. This is the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they needed to be purified first in order to enter into that holy place in the tabernacle. Please listen to this. There needed to be a washing before they were to come into that holy place in that tent of meeting. That's the Old Testament. Let's go now jump to the New Testament. In John chapter 13, it says this. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And he began to wipe them with the towel which he had around his waist. And he came to Simon Peter. And Peter said to them, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus says to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Everyone say the word wash. Lord, you can't wash me. Do not wash me. And look what the Lord says to Peter. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. We need to allow the Lord to wash us. Oh, well, I was washed once. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't take a shower just one time in my life. I am constantly have to enter into the washing of the Lord. And he says, Peter, if you don't let me to wash, if you don't let me wash you, you have no part with me. So now Christ comes to us. Christ in John chapter 13, listen to these words. He enters our world. He enters our lives. Jesus does. And he does this first in order for us to be purified. Peter, if I don't do this, you'll never be part of me. I need to wash you. In the Old Testament, we just read when it was given to Moses the direction and to Aaron we couldn't go into the temple. We couldn't go into the tabernacle unless we were purified. We needed to be purified before we came into the presence of the Lord. But now, now Christ comes into the temple and he purifies us because we become the temple of God. And he purifies us first so that we can now come and stand before the presence of our Father. This, this, this debate, this debunks every single person that says, I need to make my life right before I get to God. And you're like, no, let the Lord make your life right, and then you could stand before the Father. The Lord does it. The Lord purifies, and the Lord washes. Team, I asked you to get ready. It says here, in John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, and Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water he tells the woman in Samaria, the Samaritan woman that I told you about some minutes ago, he says, everyone who drinks from this water in which you draw water from will get thirsty again. Anyone who drinks the water that I give will never thirst. Not ever the water I give will be a spring of water. It'll start from within. You see, he starts from the temple. He starts from the tabernacle of God. It's gushing it's, it, the, um, Eugene Peterson says it this way, fountains of endless life. In John chapter 4, Jesus is purifying the woman with water that he offers. As we speak about waters, 
it's important to know of these waters. You might be like, yeah, but you know what? There's some, some strong waters in the Bible that did some harm or that caused some con- restlessness or some waters of tribulation. For example, did, wasn't there some waters that almost um, scared the disciples and Jesus had to calm those seas? And I said, yeah. In eternity, listen to this. In eternity, because I get that there's water sometimes in Scripture that could look as a negative thing, that could drown you, that could overwhelm you, the waters of this world. The Bible says that when the enemy comes in like a flood to to raise up the standard against it, we, we know the Scriptures of water that could also be described as pressure and tribulation and hardship. But I want to read to you a verse that will hopefully bring great spiritual illumination and just insight of, wow, this is true. Watch this. In Revelation 21.1, it says this, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And look what John the Revelator writes in Revelation 21, verse 1. He says, there was no more water. There was no more, specifically he says, there was no more sea. Let's keep reading through Revelation, and I'm going to wrap this up with my main thoughts. In Revelation 22, the next chapter, I'm going to read verses 1, 2, and 3. It says this, Then the angel showed me, John, as he's seen this vision of the great eternal kingdom, he says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life. The water of life was bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb, and through the middle of the street of the city, on either side of that river, the tree of life, with 12 kinds of fruit, were yielding its fruit each month. I love that. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. There's water flowing from the presence, from the throne of God, and it's healing the nations, bringing healing to the tree that bears fruit, that people eat out of, and there's miracles from the throne of God. So I pause here and I say this, to bring everything into its picture. Refreshment and life flow from the throne of God flows from the throne of your Christ, the the throne of the Lamb. And Jesus promised this all over the Gospels when he was living on this earth. I love how the English Standard uh, describes this in their commentary. It says, this ever-flowing river gives a picture of an unending stream of abundant blessings and joy. The tree of life receives its life from the water. Once banned to guilty humanity will now satisfy the city's residents year-round, Revelation 22 tells us. It leaves us healthy. Death now is destroyed. The Bible says in Revelation 22, nations are healed. John chapter 9, verse 7 Jesus tells the blind man, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. And he went and he washed and he comes back seeing. John chapter 9 verse 38, that was the beginning. Now at the end of the same chapter, 
Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. So if I were to say anything to wrap this up is this. When you wash, you can see clearly. And you will do the works of him who has sent you. He goes into the pool of Siloam. His blindness can now is open and he can now see. And that water that he comes out of is the water called sent. And it's almost as if that water is prophesying to this man's life. You're now sent out. And all I can think of in my own life as I meditate on John chapter 9 is regal. Enter his washing daily and do the works of him who has sent you. You need his washing. You need his washing. If there's heaviness on your heart, the Lord wants you to bear fruit. The Lord wants to do a new thing. And the Lord wants you to worship him for all eternity. He wants to do the work of washing in your life. Maybe you're here today and you're like, this is exactly what I needed to hear. I needed the Lord. I need the Lord to wash me today. I want you to meditate there in your heart. And I want you to listen to these last words I'm going to share with you. It's found at the end of the Bible. One of the very last things that is written in Scripture. It's Revelation 22, 17. Meditate there in your heart. I want you to think about all your thoughts. I want you to think about what the Lord is confronting in you. And I want you to listen to these words. It says this, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. For whoever desires... Listen to this. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. It's without a price. How many of you could say, come? Waters come. Jesus come. And wash. Maybe you need to pray, wash my sins away. Wash my faithless life away. Wash all the doubts. Wash the insecurities. Wash the hurt. Wash the anxieties. Wash all the pain. The spirit and the bride say, come. Whoever thirsts, come. Whoever desires, Take the water, the water of life freely. Come. This is for eternity, church. This is for a new thing that God wants to do in us. This is so that you could bear fruits. And so that nations could see, so that people could see the declaration that your life gives. That you were blind, but now you see. I want you to meditate right there where you're sitting and speak to God. Lord, have our hearts. If you need prayer today, I want to open up the front. Come. Let us pray for you.
say, excuse me, and just come up here, maybe get on your knees, stand up here. I want to I come alongside you and just say, Lord, I can't spit on mud and make this man's eyes see. I can't tell him to dip himself in a pool, but I know you can. I know you could wash them from whatever it is that they feel is covering them. Maybe they're coming up for someone and they're believing in faith for someone else. Lord, we speak into that prayer. We speak in faith into it, Lord. That they would wash in the waters of God, in the works of God over their lives.